Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Fran Duffy. That's right, another week and a great win at home against the New York Giants as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 87. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell from NFL Films as we take a close look, not just at the Eagles' win over the Giants, but with a little bit of a different spin this week. We're going to look back at this game, and we'll talk about some specific plays and this weekend's matchup against Dallas. But I want to talk to Greg about this team moving forward. Who are the players to watch? What can the team build off of in 2016 as they move forward into this offseason and get this team ready to compete for the playoffs and more in 2017 and beyond? So Greg and I have a ton to discuss there. Let's not waste any time. We talked about Eagles-Giants before we jump into everything you need to know about this team getting into the offseason. Let's get to that chat now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Joining me for one final time in the 2016 season, NFL Film Senior Producer and Eagles Game Plan Analyst, Greg Cosell. Greg, thanks for joining us here once again in Chalk Talk for the final time for the 2016 calendar year and the 2016 season. Uh, Hope you had a good holiday over the weekend. Hope you have a good new year. Uh, Preemptively get that out there. But first... Let's talk about this Eagles roster. Sure. We're going to kind of start from, from the quarterback on, and we'll, and we'll move on. And we will talk about the performance last Thursday night against the New York Giants. We will talk about the upcoming game against the Dallas Cowboys. But I really want to keep this conversation big picture. What do the Eagles have in all of these positions moving forward? What are the needs moving forward from an execution standpoint going into next year? But then also any positional needs where you, you may feel going into the, this offseason that this roster does have? Because obviously, look, being where they are record-wise, there are needs on the roster. Sure. There are lots of areas where they are going to need to improve, whether that's new players being brought in or current players taking a, taking the next step in terms of their development. But uh, let's start with the most important position, the position that I know you care most about, yeah. and obviously with good reason, the quarterback position. We got to see Carson Wentz, the number 2 overall pick. Above all else coming into the year, you wanted to see – how did Carson you know how was Carson Wentz going to look? How was he going to live up to the expectation of being the number two pick overall through fifteen games, sixteen on Sunday coming up against the Dallas Cowboys? What are your overall feelings on Carson Wentz? How can he improve going into next year? Well, I think there can be nothing but positive reviews for his rookie season. You know it's really interesting. I, I had mentioned to you just before we started talking now that I had just watched Jared Goff. And when you watch Carson Wentz and you watch Jared Goff, and this is not an X and O point, but the one thing that clearly stands out is one guy, Wentz, clearly belongs on an NFL field. Sure. Obviously, there are some some weaknesses that need to be cleaned up in, in all areas. He's a rookie quarterback. But I watched Jared Goff, and he he truly is not ready to play on an NFL field. And he was the number one pick in a draft. And there's all kinds of reasons for that. But overall, I think Carson Wentz, you see the skill set is clearly there. We knew that coming into the NFL season. So then what do you look for? You look for the subtleties of playing quarterback in the NFL. And you saw some of that as well throughout the course of the season. 
you'll need to see those with greater consistency. The issue you always face with a quarterback, and I, I believe this, you have to isolate the play of the quarterback and evaluate him. And Carson Wentz had moments this year where he was a little inaccurate, where the ball placement was not what it needed to be on a consistent basis. He missed too many routine throws. That has to be cleaned up. He also had some big-time throws where you said, wow, that, that's, that's pretty good. There's not a lot of guys who are going to make that throw, who are willing to turn it loose to make that throw. And it's interesting. He showed a lot of that pretty early on. Then you get into the other issue of evaluating a quarterback as part of a team, as part of an offense, really as part of an overall team, because there are a lot of quarterbacks that can win games in this league because of the rest of their team. And I think that's where a lot of people put the focus on Wentz, undeservedly so. Um, I I guess for me, there's a much larger – I know you want to look at, at position by position or unit by unit and Certainly, I could talk about Carson Wentz for the next half hour, but I think that misses some of the larger points. The Eagles will be fine at quarterback. Carson Wentz will not be the issue with this team going forward. That's ultimately the biggest question I want to ask from you. That's not going to be the problem with this team. If you think about the NFL, look, one thing I've learned over, I guess I've been watching coaching tape for now about 25 years, and I've certainly had many, many conversations with a lot of people in the league for a long time. There's many different ways to win in the NFL. We know that. But I think it's, it's difficult to win in the NFL nowadays or to c- compete. Win is a, is a relative term. Difficult to compete and be consistent on a weekly basis if you can't compete on the perimeter. And by that I mean if you can't compete at the wide receiver position, if you can't rush the quarterback off the edge, if you can't compete at the corner position. I think those things – you have to be able to do with some degree of consistent success to compete. Now, of course, that's not saying that you shouldn't want to be able to run the ball inside with power because, as I said, there's many ways to win in this league. But I think it's very difficult to compete consistently if you can't play on the edge in the NFL. It's just too hard. You need, you need to be able to do that. That's, and I don't want to go too far off on this point, but that's, that's pretty interesting because – I know I, I've read a lot, and you hear a lot of people talk about the really how teams are really well built if they're built strong up the middle defensively. And it's interesting that you hear you have that kind of counterpoint almost as the, the with the evolution of today's game. But it's not a counterpoint in a strict. That's why I'm saying there's yeah. so many ways there's to win. Lots of ways right. to catch. Look, sure. I mean the Tennessee Titans this year. Obviously, Marcus Mariota got hurt and they got knocked out of the playoff picture. They're a team that played with a ton of tight formations this year. Two tight ends, three tight ends. Uh, didn't really win a whole lot on on the edge. Certainly on the offensive side of the ball. So you can compete a lot of different ways. Then it gets down to individual play. Look, if you have a, a great, great quarterback, um, and, and Tom Brady comes to mind, and we're certainly not comparing Carson Wentz to Tom Brady. That's not the point of the conversation. But Tom Brady has succeeded for a lot of years in this league without what people would probably say would be top wideouts, guys who really could win on, on the perimeter consistently. But you have Tom Brady, and not every team has Tom Brady. And not many teams throughout NFL recent history have had Tom Brady. So, Yes, there, that's why it's, it's always a difficult conversation to try to say, hey, this is the one thing you need to do to win, or these are the two things you need to do to win. But I do think that in today's NFL, 
with the abundance of 11 personnel, meaning three wide receivers on the field, um, with the way teams do more so spread the field formationally than they did 20 years ago, if you're going to do that, then you need to be able to be successful doing that. And then, of course, you need to be able to stop the opponent from doing that. So you need to be able to compete on the perimeter. When you look at this Eagles pass game, and obviously it starts with Carson Wentz, but when you, when you look at it schematically and what they try to do uh, from an X's and O's standpoint and what the game plan typically looks like from Doug Peterson, Frank Reich, John Filippo passing game, what are the concepts that you, were the yeah. biggest takeaways for you, number one? And then number two, when you look at game, uh, at uh, teams that are built that way and that with those kinds of concepts as their foundation, is there a specific skill set you're looking for at the wide receiver position? Are there certain tools and skills that you feel like definitely need to be added into a receiving core to fit that kind of system? Well, I think if we take a look at, at, at Doug Peterson and his background, we see a lot of, of Andy Reid in the sense that there are specific route concepts which you and I have talked about throughout the course of the year, whether it's the three-level stretch or flood concept where you have three routes to the same side of the field at the deep, intermediate, and shorter levels, or whether it's what we call the dagger concept or the 96 combination where you have, it's really, really for the most part, a two-man route concept where you have an inside vertical and an outside dig coming underneath it. We see these concepts. The rest of this pass game, for the most part, is a lot of quick game and a lot of screens. And again, this is where I would love to see more at the wide receiver position because there are times where your wide receivers have to win isolation routes on the perimeter. And I'm not talking about quick slants, which obviously was a foundation, whether it's slant flat, well, you know, something that goes with a slant. There were a lot of those combinations that the Eagles ran this year. But I think at some point you have to be able to line up in the NFL, and this gets back to my point about the perimeter, particularly at what we call the X receiver, meaning the the weak side receiver, the receiver that does not line up where there's a tight end, normally that receiver lines up to the short side of the field or the boundary. There are times where that receiver has to win one-on-one because he's going to get a lot of single coverage, especially if he's on the back side of what we call trips, three receivers to the, to the other side. And that receiver has to win. And I don't mean winning just by running a quick slant. I mean running routes, you know, at the intermediate and perhaps deeper levels. The Eagles don't have that receiver right now. And there are times that you have to line up and be able to do that. Now, you can win many ways. You can win making contested catches. You can win with great quickness and separation, you know, such as an Antonio Brown. And I know I'm picking a great player, course, but, yeah. but it's, it's just the way he does it. Um, you know, so you need to be able to do that. And I'd like to see an expansion in that area. But, of course, that will come from better people at the wide receiver position. They were somewhat limited in their ability to do that. Sure, and that's what's going to be really interesting just getting into year two of this offense, year two of this regime, and year two of Carson Wentz is just seeing uh, the personnel around him because every year there's turnover uh, with every team, uh, the the turnover around him and how they're able to to find players that best fit, number one, Carson Wentz, but two, uh, the scheme and what they ask them to do. Obviously, you mentioned all those quick hitters, so finding guys that can make plays with the ball in their hands uh, in yards after catch, finding guys that can go and make those contested catches over the middle of the field, those in-breaking routes, whether it's the digs, the slants. uh, It's going to be interesting. And obviously, some vertical ability as well. So, you know, the ability to, to win over the top will be really interesting to see what they try to do to kind of supplement what they have right now at the receiving core. 
Uh, let's talk about the run game. You know, Ryan Matthews, the, the Eagles put him on injured reserve on Tuesday. When you look at this run game, and we saw Matthews who, who left the game uh, against the Baltimore Ravens with a, with a neck injury. Uh, you talk about guys like Darren Sproles. We saw Wendell Smallwood for a good amount of the season. Byron Marshall, their undrafted rookie out of Oregon, has seen some time lately. When you look at it from a personnel standpoint and then a scheme standpoint, what were your biggest takeaways coming out of 2016? Well, it was a very multiple run game. I think that was very impressive that there were a lot of different kinds of runs from different formations. So the run game as, as sort of an abstraction and as concepts I thought was really good. They did a lot of things in the run game. Then you, now you get to the back. And, and what do you need to have what you'd like to, to feel as a consistent week-to-week run game? Now, do you need Ezekiel Elliott? No, you don't. But you walk a fine line here, in my view anyway, in the run game. I'm not a big believer in running back by committee as as sort of your modus operandi, you know, where each week it's sort of a different guy or one week, you you know, your main guy carries eight times and the next week he carries 21 times. I personally would like to see a little more of a of a one back that is clearly the guy who's the who's the feature and an identity with the run game where, you know, you're going to run the ball theoretically X amount of times. Now, I know every game plays out a little differently, but all things being equal, Fran, I'd like to see the run game have that one back that is the back. Now, when I say the one back, I don't mean on third down or in long yardage. That, that, that's a whole different animal. First and ten, you know right, who's in the backfield. Right, right, exactly. That's a whole different animal. And Sproles, I'm sure, will be back. And But, you know, he didn't look like he lost a whole lot this year, so I'm sure he'll be back. Now, I don't know if Wendell Smallwood is that guy. I don't think any of us know. He showed flashes. That, that's an open question. Sure. Uh, and I don't know how the organization will feel about that. I don't know how the organization ultimately feels about the run game. But I think that you need – you know, when they did have a consistent run game, the games in which they did and the games that come to mind, the Vikings, uh, the Ravens, it just changes the entire look and feel of your offense. And everybody throws out, oh, you know, it's a passing league. You know, and – Okay, it's a passing league. You have to be able to throw the ball. We get that. But, you know, I think the teams that don't run it or that are really inconsistent running it, it's it's hard. It's harder. Let's put it that way. And, and to your point, in those games where the Eagles were able to, to put up a lot of yardage on the ground, they had a back in those games that was really kind of the sustainer for them. You know, whether it was Wendell Smallwood late in the game against Pittsburgh or whether it was uh, Ryan Matthews in the Atlanta game, you mentioned Atlanta, the Baltimore right, game. Right, right, right. Uh, you know, there were a lot of instances where they were able to put up large amounts of yardage on the ground, but you had that guy in the backfield that took, you know, carried the ball 22, 25, 27 times. Yeah, and, and we know that doesn't happen every week really with any back. I mean, right. I'm not suggesting you, you need a back that you're going to give him 390 carries. But I just believe that your running game can't be sort of built as a week-to-week proposition, that there needs to be more stability and continuity to it. Greg, where, where are your thoughts right now on the Eagles' offensive line going into 2017? Because a year ago we sat yeah. here and we talked about, man, this is the, the number one area the Eagles need to fix. And, when, and now look at it. You've got Brandon Brooks, who was brought over, and I thought he was solid. in free agency from, from the Houston Texans, I thought he was solid uh, at the right guard spot. Lane Johnson, look, we know that obviously the, the, the suspension was huge and, and it greatly impacted the Eagles' season. I may have personally, you know, looking back on it, I may be underrated what that yeah. loss would mean to the offense. But 
Uh, I don't know if you feel the same way. I thought he was the best lineman on the field for them when he did take the field. Yeah, this he season. was good. Uh, um, you know, Peters, Kelsey. You know, Kelsey came. You know, was up and down. Uh, but you see some of the young guys. You know, you see Isaac Sayamala. You see Halapulavati Vaitai. Uh, they've added some youth into the pipeline as well. Alan Barber was solid at guard, not as much when he went to tackle. But uh, what are your thoughts overall on the offensive line going to next? Well, year? the first question is whether Jason Peters is back, and I, I guess he will. He's still on, is he still under contract? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So my guess is he'll be back, and he was solid this year. So if he can play at a similar level then they'll have a really solid tackle group. Um, I agree with you about Brooks. I, I tell you, I was impressed with I- Isaac Sayamalu. Now, I don't know what the plan is. Uh, I don't know what you know whether they view Kelsey as the center of the future or not. We know what his strengths are. We know what his limitations are. They're evident on tape. The organization knows it because it's clear. So Sayamalu, you know, he acquitted himself well when he played both guard and tackle. Now, he's not going to play tackle. I don't know if they see him as their left guard. I think he was probably drafted with the thought that he might be a left guard, but I think he can play center as well. So I don't know how they feel about Kelsey. So, uh, but I think the line it could turn into a a strength of the team. Uh, Vitae is an interesting player to me. Um, I thought he settled in after that really poor first performance when he was clearly a little overwhelmed against the Redskins. I thought he settled in and played well at right tackle. If they see him solely as a tackle, then if it's Peters and Johnson, he's a backup again next year. I don't know if they see him as a guard down the road, which size-wise he could be. I don't know if they see him that way. But I think they've got a lot of pieces. Last question for on the offense before we move over to the defensive side, and this goes back to Carson Wentz. Uh, obviously, you put a lot of time studying the quarterback position. You mentioned you've been watching uh, all 22 now for 25 years. When you look at young quarterbacks, and everyone talks about the, the rookies in the NFL, regardless of position, making that jump from year one to year two. For a quarterback, what is typically the biggest jump from year one to year two? In what phase of the game? Yeah. Is it the mental side? Is it the yeah. mechanic side? What, what do you usually see well, as the biggest jump? Every quarterback's a little different. Of we course. know that yep. Carson needs some mechanical work, which ideally helps his, his accuracy and his ball placement become more consistent and better. But I think the thing that I would probably point to the most and the thing that ultimately gets quarterbacks over the hump is the ability to eliminate what's not there quicker and to isolate what is there quicker. Because the biggest thing you you see when you watch quarterbacks, particularly when, you know, just from studying tape so long, I know what the route, you know, I can see when uh, the tape's on, oh, here's the route combination. Oh, that's against that defense. I know where the ball should go, and so does the quarterback, actually. So it's how quickly they can eliminate where it shouldn't go because if you sit on where it shouldn't go for even half a beat too long, the defense wins. Yeah, there's a difference between us sitting in our chair Cur- watching it. and then them I'm a genius when I can well. watch the play <laughs> 10 times with my clicker. We've got that rewind right, button. I know. It's pretty good. good. It's, yep. it's a pretty good deal. But, but it's eliminate and isolate, and, and the great ones get to do that before the ball snapped. That won't happen with Carson Wentz in year two. He'll move toward that. That takes longer than two years. But the really good quarterbacks, the top-level quarterbacks, and that's what the Eagles expect when they drafted Carson Wentz at number two. They're not expecting average. They're expecting great. The great ones do that 95% of the time before the ball's even snapped. Once in a while, they'll get fooled. Like, hey, that's what happens. It's the NFL. But the ability to eliminate what's not there and isolate what is there – 
that is is absolutely critical. I'm going to ask you at the end of this discussion one more question that has to do with Carson Wentz, but we will come back to it. Let's first talk about the defense and really the 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 crux of the Jim Schwartz defense is obviously pressure, getting after the quarterback. He four wants man to pressure, and it's four man pressure. So you're talking about that defensive line. Your ultimate takeaways from the defensive line, that four man front up front. What, what were your thoughts on the D line coming out of this season? Up and down. Uh, it was clear as well as Brandon Graham played. They don't have that true edge rusher that my senses offenses say we need to take care of that guy. And Graham had a terrific season. No, no doubt. But he's not quite that guy. Now, the, the style of defense, this is what I call an execution-based defense. It's not a highly schemed defense. Right. And that's okay. You know, there's a predictability to what they do in coverage, but that in and of itself is not a bad thing. Seattle won a lot of games yeah, the last no, few no, years. No, no, predictability. Kind of but defense, but sure. if you're going to do that, that means your pass rush has to be a big factor. And that's where they need help. They, yep. Their pass rush has to be better. And we're talking particularly on third downs. You know, that, that's the, the, as we say, the money down, the possession down in the NFL. So Jim Schwartz has been doing this a long time. His style will not change. His philosophical approach will not change. So this is the Eagles defense. It's a f- defensive front-based defense uh, with – not a ton of different coverages. Uh, you know, obviously they change like every team, but it's really based on the ability of the front four to get consistent pressure. That's going to have to get better. What were your overall thoughts? Because this was a, a big topic of conversation from start to finish this year was Fletcher Cox. After getting the big contract this offseason, I personally have come to the defense, have had to right, surprisingly right. come to the defense of Fletcher after a while. I mean, you watch the tape every sure. week. You see the kind of player he is. But what were your ultimate takeaways from watching Fletcher all year long? I think people expected dominance on every play. That's not realistic. I think that he played for the most part well. Um, you know, when you're playing defensive tackle, some, guy, some guys, you know, w- We'll get some sacks, and and that tends to be the exception. I don't know. I don't know how many sacks he ended up with this year. Uh, do you know? Off the top of my head, I mean, it was five plus. Yeah, for sure. Which, it wasn't like he had a bad year. No, which is right? probably not what people expected. I would say overall, there were some games where he didn't put up numbers. Where I put the tape on, and I thought, wow, they're really having a hard time blocking him, and he just didn't get numbers. And then there were other games where I thought, hey, you know, I, I'd like to see him do more. So I would say overall. I would say the data shows that he played well, uh, not dominant, not the highest level. We've seen him play better over the course of a season, but I don't think he's a problem with the defense as we go forward. Interesting. So uh, let's go to the, the linebacker position and an yeah. area where, uh, you know, with the Jim Schwartz defense, a lot of nickel, not much dime. So you have mostly two linebackers on the field. They did play a good amount of base where you saw all three players. But uh, let's let's go one by one here. Let's start with Jordan Hicks in, in year two of, of his career here in the NFL, his second scheme, his second position. It's like his fifth defense in the last six years now uh, at this point for Jordan Hicks. Your overall thoughts on, on his development so far uh, in his NFL career? I think Jordan Hicks is a very good player. And, and actually, let me put it in a larger context with, with the entire linebacking core because okay. I think yep. that's really the, the best way to do it. Jordan Hicks can line up in middle linebacker, and you're fine. He's a very good player. I think he's has very good feel in the run game. He's not big, but he has a very good feel for playing 
within traffic. I think he's – and he has to have that feel because he's not 250 pounds. And in his defense, you have to have that feel. Without question. I think he's very good in pass coverage. I think where the issue arises, particularly in their nickel, and I don't know how you feel. I've seen a lot of linebackers who play in nickel in my time. I think they're going to have to be more athletic, purely athletic at the other linebacker position. I know Bradham came here with the idea, oh, he's pretty athletic, but he's not a great athlete. He's a solid athlete, but I think for whatever reason, and, and I'm not in the meeting rooms, I don't, you know, I don't know the answer to this, he's nowhere near as athletic as Michael Kendricks, but yet Michael Kendricks doesn't play in the nickel for reasons that, you know, out of our, uh, out of, of our uh, head. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, I don't know the answer to that. But they're going to have to be more athletic to me in their nickel because they're a nickel defense. They don't play many snaps a dime. I'm sure that's a philosophy again with Jim Schwartz, and I'm sure that um, uh, that won't change a whole lot. I would think not. So th- that position is going to have to be better. Now, when they play, you know, there were not a lot of teams they played this year where they had to play base defense for a whole lot of the – I mean, they did against a team like Atlanta, but there were not a lot of teams where they played a ton of base 4-3 defense, so it's almost hard to get a feel for what they are as a 4-3 defense. I almost wonder when the when the staff looks at the, the linebacking core as a whole, and when you mention the, the need to maybe be a little bit more athletic, if they don't say, well, you know what, look, when, when it's third down, we're so often – in, in cover two where we're so often in, in quarters and it's rare that you're going to see us either going zero or cover one or man free where, you know, Nigel Bradham may be matched up on an athletic tight end or he may be matched up on uh, a dynamic option out of the backfield. So maybe they don't put that as, as, as high up in the list of priorities. That, be. Be that could be the case. And, and that, hey, there's no right or wrong sure, here. Sure, of course. Because so much of this is philosophy. Right, exactly. And different coaches have different philosophies. And as I said when we started talking – at the beginning of the podcast, you can win a lot of different ways and there's a lot of different philosophies. And, you know, Jim Schwartz has had a belief. He's been a successful coordinator in this league going back a long time. And it's, he's not likely to change his worldview of how he wants to play defense. So let's look back now at the, at the safety spot. We'll, yeah. we'll go to safety first, then go out the corner. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins, Rodney McLeod. The, the, it's good, sa- good safety duo. Good safety duo. Not, not an issue. I, I know a lot of people were worried about McLeod in the good latter player. half of the year. I think it, I agree. I think he's a good player. Good player. Certainly had a couple of plays down, coming downhill, running the alley that he'd like to have back right. in the latter half of the year. But overall, good player. Good player. Good player. Um, so then when you get to the, you know, you have Malcolm Jenkins on the other side who was asked to play a lot of the slot this year yeah. after Ron Brooks went down. Overall, I think you'd like to see him ideally, though, back at the safety spot. I would. Spot. Yeah. I would. I mean, I think he's a really good safety. I think it's a tribute to him that he can play in the slot and hold his own. But I think you'd really like to have Jenkins and McLeod be your safety tandem, and they'd be a really good safety tandem. Yeah, and then when you have Jalen Watkins, you've got uh, Terrence Brooks, who was able to come off the bench and make a huge interception to seal the victory this past week against New York. And then Chris Maragos as, as your special teamer. It's a pretty good group of safeties. Yeah, I think Watkins, to me, flashed much more as a downhill run defender than he did as a coverage player. Which is interesting, considering his background. Yeah, and I, did, you, did you feel the same yeah, way? Yeah, you know, look, in the preseason, over the summer, he made a lot of huge plays in coverage. Yeah, and I like him. I mean, I, I always yeah. liked him right when he came out of Florida. I liked his skill set. I thought he could be an NFL starter. Um, there were times I, I hoped to see more out of him in coverage. 
Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see and watch him develop in the, the scope of this defense. Now let's talk about the cornerback position, certainly uh, an area that the Eagles need to be better at going into 2017. And I don't think you want to sugarcoat it. I mean, they're going to need to be better at corner. Yeah. This was a tough year at corner. Uh, I, I don't know ultimately how they feel about their players. McKelvin did not give them much, whether it was due to injury or not, but he's, he's a player who's been in the league a long time. Yep. Um, you know, I think Nolan Carroll is certainly a solid professional, but again, I, I don't think that he's he's quite good enough to be a true week in and week out starter as as one of your two best guys. And Jalen Mills, very up and down. We all love the way he competes, but he also got beat a lot. And I think he's going to have to be better. And and whether they even see him as a corner, we're going to find that. I mean, they may see him as a safety down the road. Um, they're going to have to be better at corner. I started with that talking about being on the perimeter. They're going to have to be better at corner. You know, it's just the reality of life in the NFL. And when, in your estimation, when you look at the cornerback group and then also the pass rush up front, obviously the, the two go hand in hand. Right. Is there an area in your mind philosophically, not necessarily just the Eagles, right. but philosophically, that you put a little bit more uh, value into corner or, or pass rush? Well, ultimately, you got to be good at both. Yeah, ultimately, I think in this league, if you talk to most coaches, they'll tell you that you want to affect the quarterback. And whether you do that rushing four, which is the Jim Schwartz philosophy, or you do that with blitz, which is other coaches' philosophies, you want to affect the quarterback. You need to speed the quarterback up. You need to make him uncomfortable. And, again, that doesn't mean you don't want to cover, but I think – the priority, if, if you probably got these guys, to, to be honest, would be that we, we want to impact the quarterback. Uh, number one, real quick before we move on, the interception, the pick six for Malcolm Jenkins this week, one of my favorite, well, probably a top five play to break down this year uh, from the Eagles, just in terms of all the different layers to it. I know you, now, bro- you broke it down on the website. Right, right. And, and, you know, it's funny. I watched it this week or last Friday. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the play now. I've, right, I've so seen the, 15 yeah, games I, since. Of course, <laughs> that's the problem with the Thursday night game. Just uh, remind me of the play, the, the man free play where he was lined up over. Uh, oh, the oh, receiver unbelievable! It was great. Oh, where he passed him on to, to Jordan Hicks. Hicks. That was that's. But see, that also comes from two smart players understanding. You know, Hicks being aware of what his responsibility is as well, and you see that a lot. You see that a lot in man coverages. When a receiver disappears inside, get, he gets passed on to someone else, and it frees up the initial defender over him. But that was a tremendous play by Malcolm Jenkins. And, you know, it's funny you say that because Eli Manning, who I thought was terrible in that game, but that's a whole other question, but he just didn't pick that up at all. They got him. Yeah, they, they certainly did. And the Eagles double-teamed uh, Odell Beckham Jr. a handful of times, yeah, yeah. several times in the game, one catch for 10 yards against those double-teams. Yeah. It's interesting when you talk about the what the philosophy is of this Jim Schwartz defense with the fact that you're relying on that four-man rush. It does allow you to be very versatile and multiple in what you do on the back end. It's numbers. Yeah. Football's – I learned this early on from one of the smartest people in the business, a good friend of mine, Al Saunders, who's now the, the um, wide receivers coach in Cleveland but has been coaching forever and goes back to a ton of great people, Don Coriel, Bill Walsh back in the day, and – he explained this to me years ago, and it sort of opened my eyes and made me see the game a little differently. And he says, it's all numbers. And you, you talk, and the reason I mention that is you rush four, you have seven in coverage. You rush five, you only have six in coverage. You go rush you know, six, 
and then you only have five in coverage. You know, it, it all becomes numbers. And it's one of the, the whole reasons that Dick LeBeau really sort of pioneered the zone blitz because he was trying to figure out a way to add to the pass rush without compromising numbers and coverage. And that's really how the whole principle started. Well, and it's funny you bring that up because when you look at the, the final three plays of the game, the last three plays uh, on defense for the Eagles, they played that quote-unquote box-in-one defense where uh, they played some Tampa 2 coverage on the back end, but they wanted to lock down on Odell Beckham. So they put Jalen Mills one-on-one in man coverage against Odell Beckham, still were able to keep seven in zone coverage, and they, but where they took that extra right, defender right. away was from the rush. They right. made it with a three-man right. rush instead of a four, but they're sacrificing Because they made a, a decision there that, that the coverage was more important. Of course. Right. Uh, so it's just it's all numbers. It's all numbers. It's all numbers. Absolutely. So, Greg, I teased the, earlier that I wanted to ask you one final question going into the offseason. And, and really the big thing, and uh, listeners are going to hear me talking about this all offseason, and I think it's really kind of the biggest thing is for the first time in a long time, the Eagles go into an offseason where you're not worried about the quarterback position. No. And it's not no need in, to be. It's not even in the back of your mind like, oh, if this becomes available, we may look to address this. You know, you think about the Michael Vick years and the, the Nick Foles and Kevin Cobb years where – yeah, you know, we feel good about where we're at, but just if if this were to happen, we would go down that road. That's not in in the the back of the the decision makers' minds at this point. Now you're focused on trying to build around that quarterback. Lots of different ways to build around that quarterback, yeah. like you mentioned, and you see teams around the NFL do it in different ways. And some teams say like, hey, you know, in Indianapolis where it has not really worked out. Right. I don't know if you disagree, if you disagree or not, but when you look at all the assets they've put into the receiver position and the offensive line position. When you're looking at it, if you're from an Eagles standpoint, is there something that you know, okay, I, I need to force the issue and make sure I do this for Carson Wentz in the short term and long term going into this offseason? Or are you looking at more from the standpoint of, look, I just want to collect the best players. I want to continue to build talent around him regardless of side of the ball. and you know, Are you going to turn down one position over another just to make sure he impacts Carson Wentz? Or is it more right. get the best players in the building? Well, Given where their offensive line stands, and that, that's the starting point, because if the offensive line was a sieve, we'd have a different conversation. I personally believe that when you have a young quarterback, and again, you mentioned Andrew Luck. He's got weapons on the perimeter. And by the way, their offense puts up numbers. So it's not a case where their offense does a You can talk about winning games. Oh, yes. That there's that's, other, and that's what ultimately, right, comes, and that's down what ultimately to, comes down to. But there's, there's always multiple reasons why teams win and why teams don't win. But I think that when you have a young quarterback, and particularly a young quarterback who is not afraid to turn it loose, you must address the wide receiver position. You must get wide receivers. Because the last thing you want to do is take away that instinct to turn it loose. And when, when quarterbacks don't feel comfortable throwing the ball to – and I've had these conversations with quarterbacks. They don't throw the ball. And that's the last thing you want to do. You have a young quarterback who already has it in his DNA that he's, he's a turn-it-loose guy. And, you know, once in a while he's going to turn it loose and it's going to be picked. I would rather have that guy than the guy who doesn't do that because in this league you're going to have to turn it loose. Very interesting. Well, Greg, you and I will have lots of time this offseason, lots of conversations both on and off the air about uh, the Eagles' plans and, wh and what they're going to do, the execution of this offseason plan. There will be a lot to discuss in the months to come. So appreciate the time. 17 weeks in, 17 weeks up and down for, uh, for Greg Cosell here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Appreciate you joining us here each week on Chalk Talk. All right, Fran. Appreciate it. Thanks.
Great stuff from Greg. Again, you can follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And I know you greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That's one way to support the show. But the other, you go on iTunes or Stitcher, give us a rating, and even leave us a comment. I wanted to give a quick shout-out this week to Pete Glaze on Twitter, at Achy Pete Music, who spread the news about the podcast on Twitter. So thanks to Pete and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. We had a great season here. Obviously, there's a ton of great content coming up here on this podcast and all the rest of our podcast offerings. I know the Eagles Live podcast with Dave Spadaro will, will be continuing. The Journey to the Draft podcast will be making its triumphant return in the coming weeks as Alex Smith and I prepare to head down to the East-West Shrine game and then to the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. So make sure you keep your ears tuned to that. Obviously, I'm still doing the College Draft podcast with Ross Tucker on RossTucker.com, so you can keep an eye out for that as well. But uh, great stuff from Greg Cosell, as always here on Chalk Talk. Really looking forward to all the things, all the plans I have in store for this podcast in the offseason. So make sure you, you stay subscribed and you keep listening for all the different uh, Eagles topics, X and O topics, football topics. And if you ever want something specific that you want covered in a show, just go and you leave us a comment. You go on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever, uh, and just leave us a comment. And I'd be happy to cover it all here in depth on the podcast so wherever you listen just go shoot us a comment but all that being said i think that'll do it another show in the books here on the eagle eye in the sky podcast for everybody here at the novacare complex i'm fran duffy we will talk to you next week happy new year